make yourself a seat at the table. Like don't ask for somebody to just come in and move the chair aside for you. Like don't wait for the invitation, go forward, take it. And if you get a table, like own it. And so don't be afraid to step up. And I think that's good advice. Welcome to the ultimate guide to partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to or welcome back to the ultimate guide to partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzione, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Melissa Mulholland, the recently named CEO of Crayon, a technology organization focused on innovation. Melissa was an early guest at the podcast, in fact, three years ago this week. So I was excited to have her back as so much has changed, both in our world and for her professionally and personally. In this episode, we have a great and far-reaching conversation on a number of topics, including her company, her career journey, great lessons that have sparked her, and learnings and advice from a woman CEO in an industry not crowded by women CEOs. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed reconnecting with Melissa Mulholland. Melissa, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much. It's such a great pleasure to be here today. I am so excited to welcome you back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You were an early guest And so much has changed in the three years since we spoke last. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. It's also been fun to see, you know, your growth just with these podcast series. I love seeing the speakers that you've had come on board. And as you said, being one of the early speakers in the podcast series, it's been so fun to see your journey through the process. Well, thank you so much. And it has been an absolute blast. I love everything about what we're doing here. And I love having you back because you were a terrific guest, by the way. I probably have not told you this before, but you were one of the top downloads that we have had on the podcast. And so I'm really eager to have you back. So much has changed. So you were named this year as the CEO of Crayon, a technology organization with a rich tradition of innovation, organization that I knew from my time at Microsoft. Can you tell us about this journey and your new role? Oh, thank you. And thank you for the kind words about the podcast. I did not know about those results. Wow. So good question. You know, the journey with Crayon has been a multi-year, I'd say, destination to get here and move to the company. I started working with Crayon about five years ago when I was working at Microsoft, when Gavrila Schuster asked me to go in and help these large organizations, large partners, really help them accelerate, you know, you could call it their cloud digital transformation back at at that time. And I came across Crayon and discovered that they had this incredible data and AI team. 
you know, 80% of their data and AI team have PhDs and they're just this rich talent, but, you know, no one really knew about it. And so I worked with the company, went on a tour around the world. We went and trained and skilled some of the biggest organizations leveraging these data scientists. And it just sparked my interest in the company and why they had this secret talent and why they weren't exposing it more and, and how they could grow it. So I started to see the innovation and in working with them, their co-founders. And over the period of those few years, it led to a stronger and stronger relationship. And eventually they approached me with the opportunity to come in and really lead their services transformation because the company's been so committed around that. And the company's vision is really around driving technology for the greater good. And as you know, that's something I'm extremely passionate about with my own journey and my son and telling the story around how AI has transformed our life. I felt compelled that I had a great opportunity to come bring that to Crayon. And then, you know, I moved my family. We moved all the way from Seattle to Norway. We sold everything and took a leap of faith, then became CEO six months later. So it's been an incredible, it's a year in the making. I'm definitely ready for a vacation, but uh, <laughs> it's been wonderful. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity. And I think, you know, Microsoft and the relationships I've had there and everything I've been able to learn, I mean, I'm so grateful just for what the company taught me uh, to be now in this position. You know, there is so much to unpack here, right? The last conversation we had, we were talking about the uh, shortages of data and AI specialists and scientists. So it was ironic that you were already working with Crayon there. And then, you know, this mission, this just cause is just so big and great. And I'd like you to maybe peel back a little bit more on that with us. Absolutely. So you're right. Data and AI, like that market is still very much in demand of talent because these are specialists. They're expensive. The talent market is, is, I would say, competitive. And the company has been really able to have such quality talent. And I think part of that is something that we've really been focused on around culture and how do we focus on projects and engagements with customers that tie back to that, you know, vision statement of our goal is really to help companies be successful long term. I found that super compelling because it's really, I would say, core to my values, which is, you know, I joined Microsoft 12 years ago because I was so, I would say, the amazing ability to join a company that could have global impact in society through technology. And that actually, if I think way back, that actually stems back even to when I was working at Intel, where I was an intern and the company gave me a chance because they really believe in equality. And it taught me a really important lesson that if you have an ambition, you can go and achieve it. If you really believe in something, you can do it. And joining Microsoft just fueled that and that mission of the company energized me. And the same was for Crayon. I saw this opportunity to really take a company that's known, you know, for licensing and transactional business. And while that is still a very important lever, that's not only what we do. And we can have, you know, significant impact in the world that we have. And it's... You know, we come to work each day and work is important, but at the end, 
it's not just about what you do and how you get paid. It's it's about the impact that you can have in society. At least that that is for me. So I love this driving technology for the greater good. And I want to learn more about you know some areas of focus there. But I'm also thinking about the time that we've lived through, right? We've lived through this enormously challenging time and parts of the world are still struggling. What have you seen that you didn't expect to see? I would say from a technology side, the emergence of data, digital transformation, and I hate to use those buzzwords, but really moving into a digital space happens so fast. When we sold our house in Seattle, we were questioning, do we have to go to the embassy in Norway to sign off, get it notarized? But no, because of COVID, everything is digitized, including notarying of a home. And so that I think is incredibly interesting to see how fast the acceleration in cloud has emerged or accelerated due to COVID. And then on the flip side, I would say, yes, in terms of personal struggles, it's really challenging for people to be at home. In many cases, people have lost their jobs and or people have had to forego their jobs to take care of their children, being able to do homeschooling to employment matters. It's challenging. And I think, you know, there's so much opportunity to support people with, you could call it psychological help in this time right now. So I love seeing companies come up with applications that they can support people where you can talk to a psychologist if you're struggling. But of course, it's there is real impact from what we've seen in COVID and the pandemic that we're going to have to face now that the world is starting to open up as well. And, you know, talk to me more about the move to Norway, right? You got on a plane, you left, you packed up all your things. You know, but maybe the audience doesn't know. I have a child with special needs. He has autism and we also have a daughter. COVID at that time, you know, we were homeschooling. So I was working at Microsoft. My husband was a stay-at-home father trying to try to take care of the kids. We saw that our son was unfortunately really negatively impacted. And maybe that also ties into your previous question as well, how children are impacted in COVID. I don't think we also expected to see such delays of children being away from school and socialization. That has has occurred, unfortunately, as an outcome. And our son was definitely impacted because he couldn't get the services and support he needed. The school was asking us to become specialists. And we haven't gone to, we're not educated around autism. You can't ask a parent to take that on. But we had to. That was what we had to do to support him. And so we made the decision to seek out other options. And Scandinavia is well known for their social system in education of supporting with funding for special education. So we took a leap of faith and we packed up everything as I shared and we moved during the pandemic. We quite frankly didn't even know if Norway would let us into the country. So yeah, we took that risk, but we got our visas approved in August, jumped on the first plane that we could and put our kids in school the next week. It's been incredible to see how people have embraced us, supported us. I would say it's exceeded our expectations for the life that are that we're able to provide our children. And as a parent, that's all I want. I want my kids to be happy and to be thriving. And if this environment best supports them, then 
it's worth all the risks that we've had to take as a family. It sounds like a great environment for him and for his his situation. Can you talk to us more about how your role has evolved? You came there with a specific mission and it's changed since then. I know. It's amazing to see how quickly it's happened. So yes, I came on board to be the chief services and solutions officer, really helping the company build out managed services and also data and AI, which of course I'm very passionate about, was part of that. And then over the course of the six months, got to know more and more about the company and was asked to step in and be CEO. And so for the past you know, four months have stepped into the role of leading the company, which is fastly growing. We are you now 2,300 people and growing around the world in over 35 countries. So it's been an incredible journey in just a year time. One year ago, we were contemplating whether we should leave the United States and move to a different country, leave my career behind at Microsoft. Little did I know that year fast forward, I would be in this position. And I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity. You know, we talk about rapid transformation in technology, but your career has had a rapid transformation. How does it feel to sit in that seat? It has. I think some days I I can't believe I am in this seat. And I think it's important to always remember that you have to earn the position you're in. That's something I really, maybe I hold myself to a high bar, but I think you can never take for granted what your role is. And especially when you're in these types of roles, people look to you for guidance. They look to you as an emblem for what does the company represent? So I take that extremely seriously. It's incredible to think just a year ago, I was working with CEOs on learning about how do they transform? How do they build up these businesses? How do they balance the existing profitability that they have and also take risk of building net new to drive that, you could call it transformation and growth. And now to be in the position where the accountability or the pressure is on on me and the team. And so I feel, I would say, blessed to have had all that experience in working with so many talented people, you know, externally partners that I am still keep in touch with to great people at Microsoft that have helped support my career along the way. Yeah, it sounds like you're I'll call it Microsoft almost being like a laboratory for this for you, right? Yes, that is a great way of putting it because I've done, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, I've done everything from finance to operations, sales, marketing, strategy. And the beautiful thing about working for a company as big as Microsoft is you can really change your career and get different experiences along the way. So you could call it a laboratory. I spent those 12 years really curating that experience. To this day, I would say it's been a huge asset because now I can say, oh, I I know the HR side of the business to understanding what market, how effective marketing is. And so, yeah, it was definitely a labyrinth, uh, but a great journey and experience. And I feel indebted to Microsoft for having the kind of culture where you can grow talent in the organization's. Well, congratulations again. And you know, you're a woman CEO in a world and industry not crowded by women CEOs. So can you tell us what advice you give to Melissa Mulholland every day? (laughs) That's a great question because it's so true. It's such a lonely space. And you know, it shouldn't be that way. We need 
far more diversity and not just about male versus female. I'm a big believer diversity comes in all different shapes and sizes based on experience, background, culture, all these things. But I would say that I've always, and this is very natural for a lot of people in my position previously, especially a lot of women face this, which is imposter syndrome, which is you never feel like you're good enough. You never feel like you're there. And I had a dear friend of mine, I would say she, I could say almost broke me with the psychological consulting around this saying, you know what? No, you got here for a reason. You're successful for a reason. How can you say you're not good enough? And I realized that I was preventing myself from really getting to that next level because I had all the capabilities and I had what it took and other people saw that in me. My prior management saw that in me and they kept growing me and giving me tasks that I felt, am I ready for? Am I ready for? But I kept jumping and leaping ahead and taking the leap of faith with them and I was successful. You know, looking back and even now, believe in yourself because you are worth it. If you really are passionate and you are committed to something, you will achieve it. I dreamt of being able to drive global impact. And when I was at Intel, I was an intern and I said to myself, there has to be a way that we can take Intel devices, recycle them, turn them into solar panels. This was back before environmental concepts were popular. So it was a little unconventional. And you know what? I made it happen. And I was 20 years old and I presented to the CFO and now Intel, you know, has a fantastic solar initiative program in the United States because they took an idea that a 20 year old was super passionate about and they made it happen. Fast forward at Microsoft, I dreamt that I could take, you know, technology around this AI and apply it to a circumstance around my son. And I went and told that story and it made it happen. And so I dreamt of being a CEO and I wanted it to happen. But if you really put that ambition out there, you will make it happen. And so I think, I know that's a long way of explaining it, but believe in yourself as cliche as that may sound, isn't always as easy as it appears. And the last thing I would say just on that is have really good people around you that support you, be honest with you, help coach you. I think that's absolutely essential. You know, you said something earlier about the ambition, right? Wanting to drive global impact. Like, was there something that sparked that in you? Was there a pivot point? Was there something earlier in your life that sparked you in that direction? It probably comes from my childhood, like most things within everyone. I grew up in a small town. It was quite rural, or it still is. I was fortunate that my parents took me around the world and enabled me to see different cultures and experiences. Then I would come home and I would be in that small town with, you know, people that maybe haven't had world experience. And so they have very much, I call small small town mentality. And I said to myself, I want more. I want to be I love different cultures. I love to be around people. I'm constantly, I would call myself a curious learner. I'm always trying to learn. And I felt the way I could do it was working for a global company. We are put on this earth for you know, a reason and we need to make the most of our time here. You never know how long you're going to have in this precious life that we have. So make the most of it. 
and, you know, lead your life with integrity and do things to support people. Because I don't know, maybe I believe in karma or whatever it is, but I do believe that it will come back to you in some shape or form, the good that you do. I think it probably comes from just my curiosity and just love for the great place that we're in, in this global society. And you come at it with such a spark. I mean, I could hear the spark in your voice and I've you know, been with you in person. You have that spark. You also said something about having really good people around. So was there like one great piece of advice that you received? And I'm sure there were several, but is there one that stands out for you along the journey? I took training by Michael Gervais back. Microsoft did this training for employees. Yes. and. I went through it myself. So I was like, yes, it was amazing. Oh, it's forever changed my life. That high performance mindset training really changed my life. And I'll get to why. I think what I learned about it was focus. You know, that taking the time, pace and focus and your thoughts and really collect that because you can spread yourself thin and do all sorts of small things or, or many things, but they won't accumulate to really what is that outcome you're wanting to achieve. That series that he did, and I follow him on Instagram, and if, for those that may not know, he's an incredible thought leader on this topic, but it sparked something in me. It actually was probably one of the big jumping off points for my career because that's where I really started to harness success. Uh, because I started to, and of course, it's a methodology you need to practice, but I do it each and every day. I think about what is the outcome that I want to drive that day? How do I stay focused on it? And yes, I'm not going to accomplish it all, but is forever impacted, I would say, my career. You know, my, and you know, Michael Gervais has been a guest, Dr. Michael Gervais has been a guest here on the podcast, and we're having it back on again this summer. In fact, I'm really excited about that. And this whole notion around mindfulness and mindset, organizations really miss it here, I believe. Microsoft got it early. What are you doing at Crayon to help with that initiative? Where are you taking the organization in that way? The company is working in the environment as a partner. You're going to have vendors like Microsoft, AWS, you know, the list goes on, come to you and say, we need you to do this. We need you to do that. Whatever the new hot new technology is that's come to market. And it's not always easy for an organization to just flip on a dime and be able to go and execute. And so we have to prioritize and we have to really be, it's a mindful of what is it that we're going to focus on. And so I would say that is something that I am definitely taking as part of Dr. Michael Gervais' principles and applying into the company. And guiding them because we do need much more mindfulness and it can be extremely effective, not just in our professional lives, but also our personal lives. I would say focusing the organization, giving them clarity. Those are the things that I've been harnessing, also making it a great place to work. To your point around energy, I am a high energetic person. I've always been that way, but I build energy off of others. And that stems from people being really happy to come to work. And you know what? You'll always deliver better results if you're motivated and happy in the job that you're doing. And so I think mindfulness is a big aspect of that. So do you have a key result or outcome for the organization? How do you, how do you see it laying out? So we have ambitions to grow 
our services business. You know, we're we're in the cloud today. We have a 75% cloud mix. But for us, what I love about the company is it's all about the customer. We have over 95% customer retention rate, which is extremely high. Yeah, that's a fantastic, actually. It is. And I am proud of that because... You know, at the end of the day, we're there to consult and support our customers and our partners because we have both a direct to customer and also channel business. But customer satisfaction is key. And our role is to help advise, consult and guide that customer so that they can be successful. So as I was saying, they can, we could drive technology for the greater good, all tied to that vision. If we can continue to, to do that, grow our existing customers, and, and help them solve real business problems um, and needs through technology such as, you know, through Microsoft or AWS or others, that is incredible. So we have ambitions to double our size and grow exponentially. But at the end of the day, that will happen when we have the people that are excited to come to work. They have clarity around where we're going and we support them with the capabilities to do their job successfully. Really a terrific vision for the organization. How are you applying, and I know since you've been through Dr. Michael Gervais' training, as I have, I'm assuming you have a personal philosophy. How are you applying your personal philosophy to the business? I would say being authentic. People know it when you're fake. You know, being really true to yourself is essential. And as part of that, it's leading with integrity. I really strongly believe that you have to lead by example. If you don't, people won't follow. And especially in these roles where people look at signals around what you do, how you say it. So you need to lead by action. And I would, you know, tied into authenticity aspect, really following my instinct and my gut. Going back to your question around being a female CEO, it's not easy being in an environment dominated by men in the sense that I often get told, are you old enough to buy alcohol? Like, how old are you? How much experience do you have? Like people judge you based on how you look or how you act. And so you end up really contemplating as I was going back to that imposter syndrome, like, am I good enough? Am, do I have the capabilities? But, you know, I know I do. And again, it kind of, I guess, to answer your question, your own personal statement, follow your gut, follow your intuition. Each of us, like, you come to a certain place because of the work you've done, because of the successes along your ways. And you need to just believe in that and trust yourself. I know that's a long-winded way of saying, be authentic, lead with integrity, and trust your gut. You know, what you said reminded me of Gabriella's TED Talk, right? With the whole conversation in the room and being talked to or mansplained in some respects. Do you find that still happens in the work environment? Absolutely. And I don't think it always happens consciously. Sometimes it happens because maybe the person's insecure or they don't realize that they do it. I've even told people, called them out on it, pulled them aside. And, you know, they, they, I often find they're embarrassed because they don't realize that they do it. And, but it happens all the time. I would say definitely less now that, I'm, of course, I'm in this position, but it certainly happened in my prior career. It can be very frustrating because sometimes you feel like the loudest person in the room gets their voice heard, but you have to just overcome that. And it's, it does happen. You know, Gabriella is, 
She's, of course, been one of those incredible sponsors of my career. I, I can candidly say, I don't know if I would be in the position I am without her coaching and guidance over the last, oh gosh, 12-ish years. We've worked together in different ways. But she said something to me once that was, I think, great advice, which is make yourself a seat at the table. Like, Don't ask for somebody to just come in and move the chair aside for you. Like, Don't wait for the invitation. Go forward. Take it. And if nice. you get a the table, like own it. And so don't be afraid to step up. And I think that's good advice. I love that advice. We're going to share that with our listeners. And you know, this is the ultimate guide to partnering. So, you know, I'm fascinated with this science and sometimes art around successful partnering. You have been on the other side at Microsoft and you now are a partner to Microsoft and you have other vendors and partners you work with. What do you believe makes a great partner? Someone that listens. I think... So often people talk at you because they're so focused on what they want, but pausing, what is it that I learned this, you know, when I was at Microsoft, but even now I see it even more, you know, a partnership is, it's two-sided. It's not one-sided, but people forget that. So pause, listen, try to understand how do you help that person? What are they looking for? What are their, what are their problems? How do you help them solve it? versus coming at it from what your objective is. And I think listening is essential and perhaps maybe we don't listen enough. And when the partnerships failed, was it because they didn't listen? What, what did you see then? Yes, I think people have their preconceived ideas in advance without really understanding what the other individual is trying to solve for. And I think a little bit of empathy too. <laughs> you have to realize that people... And I'm a big believer and my empathy is super important to my, just who I am as an individual. Just don't assume that the person has bad intent, you know, really take the time to understand. And, and that if you don't, I think that oftentimes is, is one of the reasons why failure happens. Yeah. Misinterpreting, right? Yes. Misinterpreting actions. And I see this so often too, in the work that I do, where people just have a, I'll say it, the wrong expectation of what to expect back from Microsoft. Absolutely. And making assumptions and judgments, you don't know. So ask, don't be afraid to ask and, and ask for clarification. But oftentimes, you know, people don't. So that's an excellent point. You know, I heard clarity and focus quite a bit today. I love this. I think those are important aspects because people just want to know where they're going and they want to know why. And you need to give them the context and help them realize the opportunity ahead. And you can't do that if you're not transparent. So I am so excited for you in this journey. Are there any closing comments about Crayon you'd like to share with our listeners? I'm just thrilled to be at this company. It's fueled by incredible people with you know amazing customers. I'm honored to be in the position I am. I'm excited to see where you know we, we continue to grow and we've had great success, but we're just getting started. It's going to be an incredible adventure that we're going on as a company over the past 20 years, and I'm excited to take it to the, to the next phase. And I'm excited for you as well, and we're going to have a little fun now. So I love this question. I, asked, I love to ask you this question. You were hosting a dinner party, and you can invite any three guests from the present or the past to this party. And, you know, we're in a situation now where, you know, hopefully we don't have to mask and worry about social distancing. 
who would you invite to this party and why? Oh, this is a fun question. Although I have to say, I've been having fun all the way. <laughs> Good. So have I. <laughs> You're so fun. So Good goodness. So maybe because I'm away from the US right now, I'm probably a bit maybe homesick. It makes me reflect, you know, a little bit on the US history. And I would say maybe one that reaching into the past category, Abraham Lincoln comes to mind. And Abraham Lincoln. Interesting. I know <laughs> that might be interesting, but I thought about it and it may be because of, there's been such division in the U.S. and even globally for that matter. And, you know, it's not. And I think just also leadership qualities. If I think about the time that he was president, standing up for something that maybe is counter to society or cultural norms and going against the grain, but doing it because you believe it's the right thing, especially back at that time, couldn't have been easy. And I'm just curious, like, how did he do what he had to do in order to, to really stand up for what was happening around slavery? And so I just think that that's, in terms of leadership capabilities, he's somebody that I've always I'd say maybe admired if you're looking back from a past standpoint that, you know, we often don't think about, you know, to me, that's a true sign of leadership. And then another person who I would love to just have a, I think she's alive today. Maybe I would love to have a pint of beer with or something uh, is Queen Elizabeth. And the reason is, is I think about to your question around like female CEOs, but, you know, think about in her position at a time when she was you know, so young, anointed queen. And then all of the prime ministers that she's had to onboard, especially in a male-dominated society, leading a kingdom and faced with such resilience. I think she would be so much fun to have a lengthy conversation with, so much insight and wisdom. I can't even fathom. So she's another person I would put at that uh, dinner party, you know, and then I would say, yeah, so I would say, you know, I'm really poking probably more from political leaders, but I think, you know, perhaps maybe because I'm in the CEO role now, and maybe there's some aspect to it. I just look at leaders that have been in circumstances where they've had to step up for something that they believed in. And it took courage and conviction, which I think I just have deep admiration for. Is there a third one? Mm, probably Gandhi. He just has so much wisdom. And I often say that you can really become the person that you want. And so much of that is, I think, stemmed from Gandhi. So many great teachings. Such a great dinner party, by the way. I'd love to come along. I'm going to stop by for a pint at least. <laughs> so. I know. It's just a mixed crew, but it would uh, definitely be a lot of wisdom to say the least. Well, you know, I've been saying this all along. And the fact, at least since we came back with the podcast about a year ago, is that we in the tech sector have both an opportunity and an obligation to lead during this time. And I am in violent agreement with you on leadership and maybe a lack of leadership in our society today. And you've picked some really great leaders. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that's probably a big part of it is, you know, we we are lacking leadership in many respects and, you know, people are hungry for it and we have an opportunity to do something with it and lead by example. You know, now is the time you need to take action when you can. 
Well, Melissa, I am so excited for you in this role. I'm so excited to see you lead this organization. I'm going to be watching you very closely and hopefully having you back as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Thank you for your generosity today. Oh, I would love that. And no, thank you for the time. I'm honored to be part of this incredible list of podcasts interviewers. So thank you for the opportunity. And I'm excited to also listen to your future podcasts. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzione on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page, or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.